from Sin Media in Melbourne. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Hi, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Today you are with myself, Christian. And myself, Cal. And today on the show we're going to be discussing the character of Arbed from the TV series Community. But right now we are going to be talking about the issue of primary school and kindergarten teachers giving constructive information, uh, frank information to parents, more specifically speaking, I think your child might be autistic, have ADHD, be dyslexic, whatever. I think this is something you should look into. And I, I wish our, our listeners could could uh, view Christian at the moment because he's making hand gestures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, this helps me think, can I say? Yeah. <laughs> um, All that bent-up energy. Uh, <laughs> still, uh, back to the, the topic at hand. So... It, it, what kind of uh, prompted this sort of like investigation, uh, Christian? Have people inside the inside the presence been uh, denying that uh, uh, diagnosis criteria? Denying the diagnosis criteria? Yeah. Um, not so much that. I think it's it's more. Well, it's part of this is sort of it's 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 um someone I know has a five year old son who seems um likely to be autistic and and the mother can sort of sense it and she knows what autism is and she can sense that the teachers are sensing the same thing but the they're never frank with her they they they've told her i think your child might be gifted which apparently is the new special special quote unquote special but they they never actually say I think they might have this neurological difference. I think they might have this that could be diagnosed. Get you to a psychologist. Yeah, they they never say that. They just say, I think your child might be gifted, which um, to a parent who's left savvy is probably just going to mean, oh, fantastic. So they're talented. Great. Um, To a conservative parent, it's just like, (laughs) you're dead to me. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it depends on depends on what kind of conservative they are. If they're a non-religious conservative, they probably say that. If they're a religious conservative, it's just like he has been blessed by the Lord. Mm. True, mm. Um, but but yeah, it it seems that, and, and I think this is something that's been happening for quite a while. They just uh, a lot of a lot of teachers tend to. I guess fear that, well, partly fear that confrontation with a parent, but also, I, I guess they see it as a touchy area. Like um, they, they're, they're afraid to. It's a bit sad if they're afraid to even use the words. Like it's not like they're performing an amateur diagnosis or anything. It, it, of course, the issues here, of course, are, uh, uh, you know, everybody has certain traits of autism. It's just autistic people, people who are diagnosed, have way over and above the. Amount of, you know, uh, di- they fit the diagnosis cr- diagnosis criteria to a T. So then, the, the child might indeed have some autistic traits, but that doesn't mean necessarily that he's autistic because everyone is just a little. Exactly. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah. Sometimes you can speculate and sense it, but you know, this 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 is why you, if if you're curious and if you think it's a possibility, you you have the child, you have your child assessed. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it, it's true. Everyone is because everyone is autistic to some extent. It it purely just gives you like that indication of this is a possibility, which which I think uh, should really be a, a fine thing for for teachers to say. And I don't I don't think it's like in in, in this case by case. Uh, it's not necessarily the teacher's fault. They also have to think of how some parents react to the suggestion that their child might be 
diseased or yeah, it, less than what a special ed kid. Yeah, inside what the, the philosophers are calling these days the age of narcissism. Hmm. It, it, even the parents are narcissistic. They want their children to be perfect, just like they are, apparently. Hmm. And this is a delusion, of course, because nobody's perfect. Um, yes, that's kind of a whole other thing. Yeah. But, but... Uh, so, again, this is why you have this sort of just... this. You're afraid to tell the parents because of what they might do to their children. And you know, we've we've seen this in the past with child being children being shoved inside cages, you know, isolated, having... Uh, bleach treatment, which yeah, don't do that. It's kind of really, really bad. Uh, especially in the states where they tend to be very um, almost Roman inside their uh, their superstition. Uh, and I say almost Roman, I mean completely. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and this, it, of course, this is this is all like this is all essentially a very very semantic argument. You're saying that you can't use words because uh, their meanings might hurt people's feelings, but that doesn't matter because it's further away from the truth, as Plato would say. Hmm. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm not saying I. I'm. I'm saying you should absolutely be able to use those words because they're, they're just sort of, I, they're factual and they and they mean exactly what they mean. I reckon you should be able to use any words in the English dictionary, even the ones that are completely and utterly offensive to everybody. And I know I can't say them on radio because people <laughs> will get offended. And that concept of blowback is very, very, very entwined inside our society because it's do I. Do, will I offend somebody by calling them special? Will I offend mm. somebody if I call them autistic? How do I win? Basically, mm. there is no, there's no win here. Even though you're, tr- you're, you're essentially dodging around the truth. Mm. And and well, I, I guess this this isn't the issue with um, teachers in these cases. They're not actually talking about someone that they know is autistic. They're saying, I think your child might be, and they're trying to think because you know, of course, there is a possibility that um the child might not be autistic at yeah. all. And, is it defamatory yeah. to call the child autistic when he's mm. not? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I guess it's another parallel between autism community and the queer community. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's that, it, you, you really do have to, if, if it's um, seen as an insult to call someone what they're not in this particular case, I guess you really have to look into, well, yeah, what, why would it be insulting to a non-autistic person um, if someone suggested or someone asked or wondered if they were autistic, mm. not calling them autistic, but you know, wondering, speculating, considering the possibility. Well, it, it's kind of like this concept of um, uh, normativity or the paragon of society. When you, whenever somebody enters into a society, it's a very political concept because whenever you're either, either born or go into a society, they have this paragon where they want you to be or at least to aim for that person. Inside Western society, it's sort of just like your Renaissance man. It's your, what's it called? It's your white-bearded um, uh, elderly male who's probably invented several more things than you could ever imagine. Uh, and they want you to be that. And if you're not that, either by virtue of you, your skin color, your your mental state, or your even your sexuality, uh, uh, society tends to chastise them. Hmm. Yeah. And again, this is this is going off completely off kilter. But it, that it, that explains the concept because uh, our conception of what an Australian is 
is is not autistic, basically. Yes, it's it's not a whole lot of other things too, but but yes, it's it's not mm. autistic or not ADHD, uh, doesn't have ADHD or not dyslexic it's, or anything like that. I reckon the paragon of Australian society mm. is sort of like your 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 dirty tradey larrigan who doesn't particularly care about politics at all. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Um, you do get quite a bit of backlash, I think, mm. as an Australian supporting any politician, um, bringing oh. down a politician, though. Yes. Well, it's, that's, that's something people can get behind. That's fine. But, yeah. Yeah. But supporting one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Especially if it's the one that's currently in power. Um, oh. and, but yeah, yeah. And anyway, um, yeah, people who are socially deviant, it, um, yes, it's, it's, I, I, I guess that is something that these teachers are obviously, they're, they're picking up on and they're trying to like package it, you know, so, so gifted well, special used to quite clearly be a very positive sort of way of packaging it, but now it's quite a I mean, thinly whaled. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've tried to mm. sort of package it, mm. package it in such a way. It was like in the 90s when you were called special. Yeah. The problem is, what do you mean by special? Do you mean mm. that I'm dumb or that I'm smart? Because it could mean both of those things. Yeah, I know. And like... this is why you get dragged in the semantic argument all the time, because mm. it's just this giant hyperbole where, the, where special means not normal. <laughs> I know. Um, what is normal? Which, which I guess is why they're, you know, they're, they're trying to bring in gifted. Which, uh, well, look, I, I applaud you for using the word gifted if you really do believe that being neurodivergent is a gift. But, but if you know, by gifted you mean, oh, it's a gift because it's a challenge that I can. It's a horrible challenge that I can learn to overcome and grow as a person. Or if you're just using it because you feel like you should. That sounds very, very stoic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's a gift of pain. Uh. <laughs> I know. Um, and that's, I don't know, I, I have a feeling some people who describe themselves or describe autistic neurodivergent people as gifted do probably see it that way. The, the issue I have with it, of course, is that, again, there's this giant hyperbole because gifted, inside my mind, means somebody with an IQ higher than 130. I know. And the issue is that if you get an autistic person or a bunch of autistic people to take an IQ test, they're either going to low, rate very, very low or very, very high. Because, again, this is probably the extremities of psychology. They're either very, very good at doing it or they're very, very bad at doing it. Again, it's, it's to do with this hyperbole. It's just, say what it is, please. <laughs> do not diverge from the truth. Yeah, I know. Special, well, what kind of special? Where, which end of the bell curve are we talking? Weird, well, what kind of weird? Normal, well, what kind of normal? Mm. It's, it's frustrating. Um, but I, I, maybe just, you know, one, one more thing specifically on teachers um, giving, saying, thing, saying things to parents. Um, I, I, I know, it, like, p- part of it just generally, it's, it's not even to do with the semantics. It's, it's just that they, they've, especially in the younger years, quite reluctant to report any sort of, Instance like you know, um, per, per personal example. I was, I was, I could quite often be pretty violent in kindergarten and early primary school, but um, my mum never found out about it in kindergarten, and um, and the only reason she found out about it in early primary school was because you know she said, oh, I hear these kids are attacking my son, and the teacher was, well, your child isn't entirely innocent. Like I'm not, I, I'm, I hope they weren't condoning like the sort of. Um, violence against me, but, you know, basically saying, well, you know, Christian is also attacking other students. He's giving as well as... Receiving. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's dishing it out as, as, as well as getting it back. Um, 
but but yeah, of course, you know, you if you don't approach a teacher about it, they 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 just they, some teachers just tend to find it pretty difficult to go up to a parent and actually tell them sometimes what they actually need to know if it's you know what they see as bad news, particularly in the early years. I find. Yeah, as I said, this comes it conflicts with the you know it conflicts with the concept of um, that you're. Nobody, nobody's parent wants to tell their child there's something wrong with their child, especially mm. in say, especially if they're brought up until the age of now, if they're brought up by narcissists because <laughs> yes. they are narcissists themselves, <laughs> yeah, um, and they think that their child is perfect, but mm. obviously it's not. And again, there's blowback on several accounts that I've already explained, um, and the, again, the ability to be truthful and frank um, about a person's situation has high, much higher value uh, inside the future than a lying about it now. Mm, yes. I, sorry. I was, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> you had to that. think about that, didn't you? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, I know. It just, it, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it is so true. Um, yeah, well, I think uh, we might we might leave it there for for the minute. Um, thanks and on for listening that bombshell. to yeah, <laughs> it's certainly food for thought. Thanks, yeah, thanks for listening to Cal and myself, Christian. Um, we will be back throughout the episode. I certainly will be back talking movies about Tourette's with Dan Niagara 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 from 1997 and the front of the class TV movie from 2008. That should be interesting. Tourette's on film, but yeah, been with. Cal and me talking about semantics, honesty, and teachers, and parents, and narcissism. Quite a few things. And paragons of society. And even a bit of neurodiversity in there, too. Yeah. Hi, this is Eamon here. For this segment, I'm going to be discussing Archer and autism in the media. So, I should start off by explaining the premise of Archer. It's a comedy animated TV show designed for adults. It is focused around the adventures or misadventures of a privately run spy agency and look it's a very different show it's very funny and I'm of the view and it is mentioned a few times in the show that is potential of the character Sterling Archer as having autism. I'd like to begin by discussing that often there is controversy around the discussion of autism in comedy. Specifically it is because often comedies the humour arises from miscommunications, so it makes sense for characters to have a sense of not being socially aware, which can often make them resemble autism. Personally, I don't really like this view. I do actually cringe a lot when people start diagnosing characters in various TV shows saying, oh, he's probably autistic or she's autistic because this is this, when I think, look, it is the comedic world and that's just the way it functions. However, there has been quite a few hints to it. In addition, in Archer, in addition to this, it's also been mentioned a few lines. For example, there was one episode where he was having an argument with a character and she says, I suspect you've got something severely wrong with you and then lists a few things and then says even possibly undiagnosed or atypical autism. 
He responds by getting quite offended by this. Then at the stage they're held up by someone and he's the one with the sniper rifle and his response is, I can't do this right now, I just needed to arrange rocks. Then says, oh crap, maybe I am autistic. That is not... That may sound stereotypical. However, there are other aspects and I actually do think if he was to come out as being diagnosed with autism it would be a very good thing for the community moving forwards. See, the thing is, one of the things I like about this character being autistic is he's actually very social. He's sort of like a dramatised James Bond and he sleeps around a lot. He's very charismatic. However, there are some autistic traits he does show. Specifically, he makes jokes that no one else could possibly understand. He makes references to very obscure things and then expects people to get it. He also does at times struggle with understanding sarcasm used by other characters. In addition to this, he has quite a strong obsession with guns and has the bizarre ability to, simply by looking at a gun and listening to how many fires is shot, he is able to tell how many bullets there are remaining in the gun. I do feel that at, in later episodes they could actually formally have him diagnosed. His mother is the owner of the agency and she is... Oh, it's hard to describe her, but she's portrayed as relatively neglectful and it is quite logical that she would never have even thought of this thing. So it could actually come out. I think it would actually work very well in the premise of the show. Um, but in all honesty, I think it's something that you shouldn't just take my words for. I think it's definitely worth giving it a watch. So the show is called Archer and it is widely available uh, on iTunes, I believe, and a few other places. Thank you. Hello, this is Christian, and I'm going to talk to you about the 2008 TV movie called Front of the Class, which is a biopic of Brad Cohen that's based on his memoir, which was subtitled How Tourette Syndrome Made Me the Teacher I Never Had. It is, it is sentimental, it is uplifting, it does, I guess, make, make the condition of Tourette's slightly easier to swallow. Its tone is frequently very upbeat, it uses voiceover, it uses comedy, it uses some fairly tried-and-true storytelling techniques. The payoff is very, very uplifting, as I said, and very positive. But it is very, very much earned when someone who has for so long had wanted to be a teacher, had wanted to be an educator, finally manages to achieve that, finally manages to actually get a, a job teaching, despite and the fact that he was a very accomplished uh, student teacher, he had a very difficult time actually getting a paid teaching job beyond that because all people tended to see was his Tourette's. It does make some things difficult. It, it, was, it was certainly not something he was willing to use as an excuse. He refers to it frequently as his constant companion, which I found very, very interesting because that really does offset any of the sort of talk of the, the ways it might make concentration difficult, the ways his, the, the tics that Tourex causes because it impedes you, um, the, the brain's ability to manage impulses. The classic explanation of this, which, which the film gives, is the v vocal and the physical tics are like sneezes in that if you try to um, hold them back, if you try to stop them, they simply come out more frequently right after the other bang, bang, bang. Um, and with more intensity. And ironically, if 
people such as his teachers did often uh, yell at him to stop. The stress of it only makes it worse for him. So especially after after attending a support group for people with Tourette's when he was a child, which his, his mother took him to, expecting them to give him some ways of knowing how to, how to live in the society that he lives in America with Tourette's. Whereas instead, all they ended up seeing were adults uh, and, and parents who basically accepted Tourette's as an excuse. And another key message, which, 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 which this film certainly gives out, is that uh, it's not the person with Tourette's who has the biggest problem. It, it, it really is the, the lack of education, the lack of flexible structures around him. So it's very, very difficult for him to, to go through school because he's, he frequently accidentally disrupts the other students before Tourette's was taken seriously of course you really do feel for him but um, frustratedly having to hear people tell him stop it, stop it now promise to stop it teacher vilifying him in front of the class but you really do appreciate the point where his school principal who he's sent to at, even at his new school, this is a common thing that even moving, mo moving schools sometimes seems like the answer but it's even addressed in the line of dialogue from his mum. Well, same problems will just be at the other school un unless something is done either in the system or by the individuals or both. So when he's sent to this school principal, he invites him to an orchestra performance. He brings him out in front of the whole school, but in a very, very good way, gives him a simple interview of what Tourette's is, how how it affects him, asking sort of all the questions that he knows will come to kids' minds, like, you know, why do you stop it? Okay, if it's a condition, why isn't there a cure? And him saying, well, there there is no cure and I, I suppose this is 2008 I know, I know the word the question of there being no cure comes up through frequently throughout this film 2008 was really early neuro fledgling neurodiversity movement wasn't particularly well known and I suppose what what they call cure we would pr we prefer to call man management of the harmful aspects of the symptoms of Tourette's but not changing yourself completely to fit a certain societal norm and and he certainly Brad's brother who he's very close to really does recognise that he, he should have a right, not, not just theoretically under the Americans with Disabilities Act, but a, a social right to go to the movies to play a game of golf, to just despite his tics, especially since his tics really, really are, are harmless, they merely are, are a bother to people who are not used to them. And you, you, you come into contact with so many different perspectives on Tourette's in, in this film. You really get a sense of how often he has to, is confronted with people noticing his tics but not, not wanting to say anything, particularly in these job interviews he has. Every time he mentions a subject to Tourette's, people are hesitant to talk about them because it's a, they, they don't want to say the wrong thing that will force him to disclose, but he's very, very open and willing to disclose and educate people about it. And he's so used to it. And you see him explaining it to so many people and going through the same things, people with so many different levels of understanding and taking it seriously. And, and one of the most interesting things it shows is, I guess, really, you could call it a generational thing, but I suppose it's more of a historical thing, really, of, of how far knowledge of Tourette's progressed in the field of psychiatry and psychology. He takes him to see a psychologist and he is adamant on pinning it all on the divorce his parents are going through because that's that's what he knows that's what he's diagnosed before and he's he's uh, he has he's tunnel visioned and he's determined to see that Brad is acting up because his parents are divorced. It's his mum who does the research finds this condition called Tourette's points a psychologist in the right direction it is I guess such a classic il illustration of 
how some psychologists can be misdiagnosed and why it is important to, to, to get second opinions to see more than one psychologist to really find one that is qualified to diagnose the right thing. And to top it all off, it, it even attacks head on the swearing stereotype of a person with Tourette's. Someone says, oh, okay, isn't that swearing? And he says, oh, no, that's corporalia, which only about what, 10% or less people with Tourette's actually have. It's an extremely small subset of the population. So it is quite refreshing to see a stereotype that's been perpetuated by so many movies being attacked head on by this one. So it's a last little great touch to what what is really, I think, the best movie about Tourette's out there. But it is seven years old, there has been more research in between, the neurodiversity movement has grown. We may get one that's even better, but if, if that's the best one we have, I think that it's pretty good. We should be pretty happy. Thank you for listening to me. I've been Christian, and I do encourage you to see the film Front of the Class. Some people say zucchini, other people say courgette, some people say aubergine, and some people say eggplant. Some people say person with autism, and some people say autistic person. But does this matter? Many people take the language we use to describe and discuss neurodiversity very seriously. Particularly in the autistic community, the debate between person-first language, which could include person with autism, and the use of identity-first language, such as autistic person, is very topical and also very political. By political, I mean if you ever dare to go into a comment section about an article or video about autism, you'll definitely find some people arguing about if someone is a person with autism or an autistic person. Person-first language is often used by those in the medical community and also by people who are service providers and by quite a few parents. The aim of person-first language is to not define individuals by their disability and to separate the person from the disability. Many people who use person-first language believe that emphasising disability is unhelpful as they see disability as a deficit. Many people who use person-first language align themselves with the medical model of disability. However, this is not true of everyone who uses person-first language. Identity-first language is generally used by autistic, neurodiversity and disability activists and people who tend to align with those views. In the autism community, some people have a much more literal interpretation of person with autism. They believe that using person-first language makes it sound like autism is something separate to someone's personhood, so something that can be taken away or cured. To counteract this implied idea, they use autistic person to emphasise that autism and someone's personality is not separate but integrated. They use this language to emphasise that being autistic is part of their identity and it's a part of their identity that they're proud of. People who use identity first language generally tend to align themselves with the social model of disability. Both sides of the debate have a point. No one should be defined solely by their disability. But people should also be able to be proud of who they are and proud of their identity as autistic or disabled people. Many autistic people use identity first language to explicitly emphasise that they are pro-neurodiversity. However, the language we use to discuss autism alone should not be used to define our political stance or the political stance of others. For instance, if someone uses person-first language, that doesn't mean that they are anti-autistic. And if someone uses identity-first language, that doesn't mean that they are pro-neurodiversity either. We must also remember that in regards to other neurological conditions, identity-first language may sound clumsy, so it might not be used as easily as with autism. For instance, dyslexic person works fine in identity-first language. However, conditions like ADHD, where there isn't an adjective, in identity-first language, you'll get something like ADHD person, which sounds much clumsier than person with ADHD. 
So we don't have this sort of divide of which one is the best one to say. It's more the one that sounds grammatically better that is used. Generally speaking, most people use identity first language and person first language interchangeably from condition to condition. And this doesn't really make any difference. It's not really about someone's ideology here. So what are the rules and are there any rules? On the baseline, everyone has different experiences with autism and other neurological conditions. This means that they may have different words to describe how their condition affects them and what it means to them. And not everyone who has the same diagnosis will use the same words. Every neurodiverse person is different and every neurodiverse person has a right to choose how they want to identify and what words they want to use to describe their experiences, whether it's person first or identity first. It's not appropriate to police the language that other people use to describe themselves. So you shouldn't say to people, oh, you shouldn't be using this language to describe yourself and I know this because I use this word or um, because my friend uses this word. It's really up down to the person themselves and they can choose. Also, for any parents who are listening to this, if your child starts to use identity first language when you use person first language or vice versa, it's, not, it's also not your place to stop them from using what language they want to use to describe themselves. It's their identity, it's not your identity. If a neurodiverse person specifies what way they want to be described, please acknowledge their wishes and act upon them. Ultimately, there are much more important things to discuss than what language you use to discuss neurodiversity. So it's probably not the best idea to get into fights about it. There are much better things to do with your time. However, it's still important to respect people wishes and it's still important to act upon them but this should be a non-issue. Kristen and Lucky here to talk to you about our one of our favorite characters from Community Abed and probably one of my favorite characters who is quite clearly on the autism spectrum. Is he one of yours too Lucky? He is. Yes because in the very first episode they make it very clear they even use the word Asperger's is. There's that lovely scene in the very first episode where the, all of the um, these characters at the community college are meeting for the first time. Yes. And yes, <laughs> the very first meeting. And I, I, I think it's Jeff who looks a little bit forlorn in the place. So, so everyone's kind of looking at each other, like um, you know, sort of nudging, hint, hint, someone go up to him, someone comfort him. And everyone sort of gets it. Oh, okay, this is what's happening. Where everyone just thinks, make him feel better. He clearly is upset. But uh, but Arbet is just completely confused because this whole sort of little interaction is all happening with winks and nudges and no words. So he has no idea what is, is actually transpiring. Yes, he's frustrated, which is wonderful. But yeah, but of course, there's much more to his character than that. And he's not like he's. It's not that Asperger's syndrome is his gim. His only gimmick either. Even it's a very self-aware sort of television show. So his other gimmick is his uh, obsession with movies and TV, um, but also just the way, of course, they totally milk of a comedy because it's actually a TV show. But he yes. analyzes everything that happens yes. as though it's a TV show. I didn't even realize at one time when he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm trying to what was that? I'm trying to grow this se- show growth this season." Oh yeah. Occasionally, he references to the fact that they're in a TV show, and everyone else is like, "Yes, I'm it." Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even realize one time when he was talking about, "Oh, for three seasons, I've been this way, so I'm trying to be a bit different." Yeah. That's what the old Albert would say. That's, oh, oh, it's wonderful. He's, uh, the, he's the one who actually knows what's going on. Yeah, and the other wonderful thing about it being a, a, such a wacky show like this is that he's not the weird one. He has his own quirks, but so he just sort of fits right in. He does. It's quite wonderful, really. And, and there's even like quite a few episodes that sort of go into deep 
Asperger's myths. And do you also remember the uh, the comic convention episode with Matt Lucas as the cameo? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, Abed quite, has quite clearly his best friend is Troy. Like, he used to be a high school jock. Now, anyway, the, the two, yeah, the two of us think of thieves, and especially, like, when they're together, they're sort of... They're just as weird as each other. Yeah, inseparable. Just as weird as each other. Like, they do everything from... That, remember Movie that free- references. Yeah. Going to parties in matching costumes. But, like, yeah, they've done it. The yeah, they have this... <laughs> they pretend that they have this show, Troy and Albert, in the morning. And uh, and sometimes they even do it at, like, 4am <laughs> when they're in a shower. <laughs> they seem to have boundless energy. Yeah. So, yeah, he only ha- he only has one f- one really, really close friend as far as... We- I mean, like, the comic convention episode, they're um, talking with a fellow fan of... Anyway, talking to a fellow um, science fiction fan on the internet who couldn't afford to go to this convention. So, Albert, I think he just said, like, oh, I'll, I'll wire you the money. And he was telling his friends about this, and they were like, oh, Albert. Sweetie, he's not. Well, and then the person actually came. Yeah, and uh, and and in many ways he is exactly like Arbet, and it, it sort of like goes into like um, the Matt Lucas's character starts. He even uses the word neurotypical. He's like, only you and I under you and I are the only ones who understand each other. The others, the neurotypicals, don't get us or, or yeah. something like that. So it's sort of like, oh, will Arbet choose to close yeah, himself yeah. off from Troy because he's not an Aspie and go with this other Aspie? Or will he realize that human beings are human beings? Yes. And you can make friends on the, you can build a friendship on the basis of all sorts of things, not just Asperger's. Really, 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 really happy with Arbed, especially with like all of, um... Quirks. Yes, exactly. Arbed mm. is kind of set in his ways. He's just used to routine. Yeah, um, and... There's certain episode where that's, episodes where that sort of comes out more than others. I would, I would, I would say that it, it, yeah, he's 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 funny. He's likable. He's he's still he's the favorite character in the show. Well, he is. for most people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's still like you wouldn't really call him totally realistic, but that, you know that's not the point. It's it's not meant it's to be. It's a show based on random stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I yeah. He's so more I, he's more mm-hmm. likable than most characters that are referenced when it comes to autism or Asperger's. Yes. Because most sort of people like, find a character like Sheldon annoying. Mm, yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah, you could call it naive, but you know, he's also he, yeah, he does have that wonderful sort of innocence, and he he's, he sees things just so simply, and he's very trusting. And see, the re- yeah. sometimes he's mm. so literal that it just makes sense. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and yeah, you do love you gotta love the way he he analyzes everything in terms of like subplots or what genre or what genre is the situation here. And when he can map yeah. things just based on emotional level. Definitely. So yeah, just a really great character. We are very lucky to have him. You've been with Christian and Lucky. Yep. And that's all we have time for today on Great Minds Don't Think Alike. Thank you very much for listening to us. And uh, we'll be back on Saturday, the 22nd of August. As, as usual, every podcast comes out on Saturday. If you haven't already done so, please like our Facebook page at www.com uh, forward slash Great Minds on Sin. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at GMDTA Media. And note that we also have a blog, gmdtablog.wordpress.com. We are accepting work from anyone under 30 who has anything to say regarding neurodiversity in any, really any writing form, short stories, essays, maybe even poems. Just read the submission guidelines on our blog and website and email your work to our email address, gmdta.media at gmail.com. It's been a great show and thank you for listening.